welcome to this week's Crowd Church service. We are a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus helps us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. Our service uh, will last about an hour and in a few seconds you'll meet our hosts uh, for our service who will introduce today's talk. After the talk, we will have a time of worship and reflection, after which we head into Conversation Street, where we look at your stories and questions that you've posted in the comments. Now, we want to invite you to connect with us here at Crowd Church, and we've got a few ways in which you can do just that. Firstly, you can engage with Crowd from any device during our live stream, and if you're up for it, why not invite a few friends over and experience the service together? You see, church is all about connecting with God and connecting with others. And one of the easiest ways for you to do that is join one of our midweek groups where we meet online together to catch up and discover more about the amazingness of Christ. You can also subscribe to our fairly new podcast called What's the Story, uh, where we deep dive into stories of faith and courage from everyday people. More information about all of these things can be found on our website at www.crowd.church, or you can reach out to us on social media at Crowd Church. If you are new to crowd or new to the Christian faith and would like to know what your next steps to take are, well, why not head over to our website crowd.church forward slash next for more details. And now, the moment you've been waiting for is here. Our online church service starts right now. Brilliant. Hello. Welcome to Crowd Church, everyone. Tonight, um, we're joined by the lovely Phil Watson. And Hello, Ivana everybody. Kessler. We're your hosts for the evening. Say hi, Phil. Yeah. Hello, everybody. I hope you can hear me. My name is Phil. A little bit about me. I'm in South Liverpool at the moment, just around the corner from the world famous Penny Lane, if you're a Beatles fan. Um, Downstairs are several of my children. I've got three, one, two, about to say one's at university. The other one went last week. So two were away at university, but they've both come back because they have only gone locally. And I've got a third one downstairs who is peeling potatoes with my wife, I should uh, hasten to add. Uh, and when I'm not hosting Crowd Church and looking after kids who are now old enough to look after me, I'm a teacher some of the time. And I'm also a foster carer who promotes fostering for my local council. Anna, that was me. What about you? Brilliant. That was a very succinct introduction to who you are, Phil. I'm Anna Kettle, and I only have one child downstairs. I only own one child, um, although some would say he's enough for three. He like fills the room like three do. Um, yeah, so I have one seven-year-old called Ben and a husband called Andy, and I work in marketing communications in the NHS in my day job. And then also obviously host Crowd Church on the weekend like this. So, yeah, how's your week been, Phil? Well, it's always a good day uh, today at this time of year because this, this is a very strange thing. I'm mostly a German teacher and I work in a Jewish school. So it's a comprehensive, so it's a state school if you're not familiar with English schools, but it's run as an Orthodox Jewish school. And at the moment, we are just about, or we have started to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. So I should be saying, if anybody's Jewish, I think you pronounce it Shona Tova, 
which is a happy and sweet new year to you all. So in the Jewish uh, faith, there are a variety of holy days, high holy days that are very, very important. And we start with Rosh Hashanah, so the new year, which isn't like if you're sort of from a Christian Western perspective where you stay up till midnight, set off for firework and then have a few drinks. It's a very religious event. And uh, so at the school where I worked, there was a rabbi giving a wonderful assembly on Friday. And the bits that really made me sit up was this great idea of you. Um, he, 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 su he suggests that God's given us the world and we have to we have to make it as good as we can. We can make it better for everybody. So um, he ended his assembly with your your role. Your challenge is to make life sweeter for those around you like a honey dipped in apple. So I don't know if uh, you've made life sweeter for anybody today, but you can certainly start as a new idea and you don't have to be Jewish to do that. Love that. Make you? Life yeah. Love that. That's so simple, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. It's something we be can all do. Like, it's, it kind of reminds me of that thing, like you can't change the world for everyone, but everyone can change the world for one person just by doing something nice each day. So yeah, love that. So let's uh, start looking at what we're doing tonight in Crowdchurch. So we ha are joined by the wonderful Matt Edmondson, who is going to be doing our talk tonight. This is a new series, actually, Phil. We're starting a new series. We're into week two this week, and it's the Origin series, which is looking all at the Gospel of John and unpackaging some of what's in that. So, yeah, we're going to have a talk on that that we'll be moving to in a minute. Um, and, yeah, I um, and then we'll also have some worship. Um, people can ask their questions and share their comments as we're listening to the talk and have i forgotten anything else phil that's pretty I'm much the, I'm, we'll come to I'm the last person i'm i just i was just taking my watch off to look at the time but i realized that i'm on an ipad that has a time on it that's how technologically yeah. inept i am so if you're ever going to ask what's happening next no, yeah, phil, the, what's happening here? never ask me because <laughs> even because I, I won't know but i'll come up with something else and go i don't know what we're meant to be doing but let's do this instead so it's it's kind of good and bad. So it sounds yeah. to me like you've got it nailed down, Anna, and I'm pretty sure it's something like we start a talk round about now by pressing a button. Matt does it, I think. Let me start by asking you a question. How would you describe Jesus? Now, I appreciate that this is quite a wide question, uh, but go with me on it, right? How would you describe him? What words would you use? If you're a Christian, you may use words like good, faithful, saviour, uh, and so on. Last week, John Harding talked about how Jesus is life. And if you're not a Christ follower, you may talk about how Jesus is possibly intriguing or maybe a good man or maybe even totally and utterly deranged. There are so many words that you can use to describe Christ. And depending on your viewpoint, some of those words will be good and some of them will be bad. Well, here we are at the start of our series, Origin, looking at how Christianity got started, probably the world's greatest movement. And very early on in John's introduction to Christ, he uses perhaps what is one of my favourite descriptions of Jesus. He said this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the phrase, full of grace and truth. Very early on in Jesus's ministry, or in John's writing, he establishes the fact that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Not grace or truth, 
he was full of both. And given the divisive world in which we live, where cancel culture is the norm, but it is, let's be real, incredibly ugly and destructive and brings out the worst of humanity, we should learn more about these two ideas of grace and truth working in tandem. You see, if we live in the extreme of truth all the time but never extend grace, we become mean and judgmental, which leads to cancel culture. And this is true both inside and outside of the church. Neither of us can escape. Of course, the flip side of the coin is to be all on grace, where here you believe that it doesn't matter what you do, God loves everyone, right? And who are you to judge me anyway? There is no truth, so I will live according to my own truth, which is whatever I want it to be at this particular point in time. I'll just change it to suit my life. There is no definitive standard, therefore. And you can see how these two ideas of grace and truth, in some respects, can quickly get in tension with one another. Yet Jesus was described as being full of both grace and truth. He wasn't extreme in one or the other. He was fully both. So I want to suggest right here at the start uh, to you that the way to navigate the extreme times in which we live is to be people full of grace and truth. So let's dig into it. Why grace? Well, grace saves. The Bible tells us that by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see here, the Apostle Paul tells us that grace saves. Okay, cool. But what is grace and what does it save us from? Grace is simply this. It is God's undeserved favour and goodwill. Now, if God were all about truth and only truth, we wouldn't stand a chance because there is no way that in ourselves we could live according to his standard, his truth. I know this because we can't even live according to our own version of truth or even the laws of our land, let alone his, right? So we need his grace, his favour, his goodwill to sort of stand any kind of chance in life. Grace saves. And another way to think about grace, which, if I'm honest with you, I really, really like, is this. Grace is God's ability in us to do those things we don't have the ability to do. That's awesome. Uh, God's ability in me to do what I don't have the ability to do. And I don't have the ability to save myself. Grace saves, not my skills, not my talents, not my charm, not even my very good looks. Right? It's nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. And that's why Paul tells us about grace, right? You, you can have it, but you definitely can't earn it. In any way, it is a gift. Grace then is amazing and amazing grace saves. So God's grace is extended to us. It is demonstrated in Christ as he is full of grace. And as a result, we are, I think, commanded to extend grace towards others, to be kind to them, to help and to restore, to be generous and forgiving and loving, even when they don't deserve it, especially when they don't deserve it, right? Because that's what grace is. But to do that, to extend that kind of grace, you need lots of God's grace 
You kind of see how this works, right? You cannot escape your need for his grace to live this life on purpose with calling and with meaning. It cannot be done. So who needs grace? I need it. But out of the people that you know, who needs grace? Who needs you not to judge them right now? Who needs you to be kind to them even though they may not deserve it, even though their theology may be different to yours. Here's the truth of the gospel. People do not need to behave before they can belong. We don't need to clean the fish before we catch it in Christian vernacular. You see, we belong first. And the other danger, of course, here is just to go along with this idea that if grace saves, if it's because of his grace that I belong rather than my behaviour, then it doesn't really matter what I do. I can just do what I like and get away with it, right? So why worry about anything? I do. And just live life how I want to live it. Live it on my terms. So now I can live my version of truth, live a life that is my most authentic self and do those things daily that bring me happiness and joy, living true to myself. And in many, many ways, that sounds great and lovely and very Instagrammable as a quote. But where is the standard? So imagine in front of you is an 18 year old guy. He's done okay at school. He's a nice kid, uh, he's got his whole life in front of him, but like most 18 year olds, he can be pretty selfish at heart, right? His reputation is kind of okay, but he sleeps around and he's never really been faithful to any of his girlfriends, but in his mind, it's okay. He's just being authentic to himself. Everybody else does it. Why should he not, right? Why, why stick with one girl when you can have more? What do you say to him? What do you say to that kid? Do you say, keep going with it? Be authentic to yourself? No one can judge you, right? So crack on. But how does that help the sting of betrayal that is behind him? And are you so amenable to this philosophy when his current girlfriend is your sister or maybe your daughter? Yeah, probably not, right? Because we have a standard. The Apostle Paul talks about this idea in a letter to the Roman church. He spends a while talking about grace and how amazing it is. He talks about how where sin was great, uh, grace was greater and that nothing can undo or outdo the grace of God. You read the whole passage and you kind of think, wow, man, this is amazing. But it's like Paul can read our minds as he writes it because he instantly follows it up with this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Wow, right? Here Paul delivers a truth that grace without truth is warped and unbiblical. And living in grace is living a life of truth. But you have God's ability in you to do that. Grace is not the pursuit of sin. When you recognise grace, you avoid sin. You know, those things that are contrary to the standard of God. Grace saves. So let's look at this idea of truth. You see, we spend a lot of time at Crowd talking about truth. Sharon, my 
beautiful, beautiful wife. And that is true, by the way. Uh, she is awesome. Uh, Sharon did a great job talking about truth recently. She asked the question, what does the Bible say about truth? I would totally encourage you to watch that talk. Uh, in that talk, uh, Sharon deals with the differences between objective truth and subjective truth in a brilliant way. Uh, she looks at what that means in a world that preaches but actually doesn't practice this whole idea of tolerance. Uh, Sharon also looks at some of the truth claims of Christianity and what they mean for us today. Honestly, check it out, it's brilliant. And Jesus, like Sharon, was also pretty keen on the topic of truth. Uh, it's a fact that we can't escape, really. Now, perhaps one of the most well-known verses about truth from Jesus is also found in John's Gospel. Uh, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, grace saves, but truth sets you free. Grace saves truth frees. And that's why we need both. We need both grace and truth. So back to our 18-year-old knocking on your door, who's knocking to take out your sister or daughter. They need grace. He needs to know that he can belong to something much bigger and much more wonderful than he ever dreamed of. And in that place of belonging, that place of grace, he starts to get into the Word of God, the Bible. And he starts to see that perhaps sex before marriage is not quite right. And treating women as objects to satisfy himself is definitely not right. He starts to see the truth that this girl is a daughter of the living God and should be treated with dignity and respect. He gets free. Truth frees. I know this because I was that 18-year-old boy. I needed grace and a lot of it. And once I'd received that grace, the truth set me free. It changed my life. It changed my thinking in radical ways because the encounter with the grace of God was so real and so incredible that my natural response was to change my wrong behavior. And yes, I now believe that my behavior at the time was wrong. And I started to see that the truth I grew up with which I had in effect created for myself to excuse my behavior was nothing compared to the truth of God. Now I am still my authentic self, but part of living a life that is authentic recognizes that I am not God, that I am not Lord, and that Jesus has a much bigger and better way of living than me. Grace saves and truth frees. So how does this work in reality, right? Well, since I have already mentioned it, let's look at this topic of sex outside of marriage. Now, cards on the table. My current theology is that sex outside of marriage is wrong. I'll get into why in just a second, but for now, let's just go along with this is the truth that I subscribe to. And I shouldn't be ashamed of that, nor should I shy away from it. But to preach that truth without wrapping it up in grace, in some respects, is probably just as wrong. So if you are watching this and you have had or are having sex outside of marriage, I want you to know that you are welcome here at Crowd Church, that this is a place where you can belong unequivocally. 
I also appreciate that my current theology may change over time as I grow in my understanding of God's word. So what I hold as truth today may change. Now I'm trying not to base my understanding of the truth on how I feel at the time, nor on the general consensus of society. Jesus said if we abide in his word, we will know the truth. So that's where I want to base my understanding of truth, in his word, knowing full well that that might be really unpopular. So my understanding of the word may change over time. And so if I'm I'm talking to someone who thinks sex outside of marriage is okay, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, uh, I know full well that my theology may not be fully formed. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't stand for that truth now. Standing for nothing, I think, is worse. My thinking may be wrong. And conversely, the person I'm talking to may also change their opinion over time. Both of us are probably wrong in some ways, which is why I have to wrap the conversation in grace. And I think we see Jesus doing that in the Gospels. You see, I believe that Jesus called adultery sin. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said this, you have heard it, or heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. And here Jesus is making reference to a law from the Old Testament, which refers to adultery as sin. And I love the phrase that Jesus uses. You have heard it said to those of old. Uh, That law then, was that for a previous generation? Surely it doesn't apply today. It was for those of old, right? It's archaic. And it kind of infringes on my rights to live life according to my truth, how I want. You can't tell me it's wrong anymore. But it's as if Jesus knew how we would think in modern times. Or maybe... It's just a case that every generation thinks they know better than the generation before them, right? And feel like they can redefine everything. Jesus goes on to say in the very next verse, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's like Jesus is saying, yes, adultery as a law is a little bit old fashioned, so let's redefine it. But I'm going to make it a lot harder, not easier, because you now have the grace of God, his ability in you to live a better life. Now, I read this and see that Jesus goes the opposite way. And if you so if if, I read this and think, well, if you look at a woman to lust for her, then you've committed adultery. So most of us must have committed adultery at some point, and the rest of us that haven't, well, I think we're probably lying. So this is just one of a number of references in the Bible that leads me to believe that sex before marriage is wrong. And I think that just about all of us, if I'm honest, intuitively know that adultery is wrong. It's cheating. It's a breaking of covenant, right? So politicians caught having affairs are dragged through the press and often forced to resign, and probably quite rightly so. Our respect for them drops and because we, f- we focus on their sin because they got caught. But when we look lustfully at another woman or man, let's be equal, right? We excuse that. But isn't that, according to the words of Jesus, just as adulterous? Are our standards high for others, but low for ourselves? 
Do we, as Jesus so eloquently pointed out, uh, look at the speck in our brother's eye but ignore the plank in our own? But just imagine, right, what the world would be like if we could actually live according to this standard that I believe and think Christ set. What would that do to the self-esteem of women? Women would feel safe and secure. There would be no need for the Me Too movement. There would be no porn, no sex trafficking, and no courtroom with case after case of sexual assault. How amazing would that be, right? So on one hand, it's a hard truth, adultery, no, looking lustfully at a woman, no. But man, what it creates if we could live according to that standard through the grace of God is something so extraordinary. And we can only do this through God's grace. You see, we need both grace and truth and not just for ourselves. We should extend that too. So if you follow along with our readings in John's Gospel, in a few weeks time, you're going to come across a story where a woman is caught in adultery and is brought before Jesus, right? And Jesus is supposed to cast the sentence for this woman, which at the time was being stoned to death. Granted, a fairly severe punishment to be sure. So how does Jesus respond? What does grace and truth look like here? Jesus said, okay, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. I think it's a genius response, right? Jesus actually addresses the accusers, the crowd first, not the woman. He kind of gets them to, to look at themselves, examine yourself first. Now, of course, they all drop their stones and leave because when you really look at your own heart, you realize you can't cast that stone at somebody else. And it's really quite sobering. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to a woman. Where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master, she replied. Neither do I, said Jesus. This was Jesus's response. It wasn't condemning. It was grace filled. Nor do I condemn you. He didn't shy away from the truth of adultery. He didn't tell her that it was okay to carry on living the way that she was living, that the law was old fashioned and she could do what she liked. No, in fact, the very next words coming out of Jesus' mouth are, go on your way. From now on, don't sin. You see, he didn't excuse what she had done. He called it sin. That's quite harsh, isn't it? In some respects, I don't know if you could get away with that in modern day world. But neither did he condemn her. And we see grace and truth working together in total harmony. And I think we could all learn a lot from this story. Grace saves, truth frees. We need both. We need the courage to stand for the truth and not be afraid of the truth. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. But in our standing for truth, that is also bring life and grace and hope to a hurting world. We, we proclaim truth wrapped tightly in grace. In other words, let's aim to be like Christ. Let's aim to be full of both grace and truth.
Your hidden glory in creation Now revealed in you are Christ What a beautiful name it is What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Christ my King What a beautiful name it is Nothing comes to this what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus you didn't want heaven without us so Jesus you brought heaven down the sin was great your love was greater Matt, that was a challenging talk, hey? What did you think, Phil? <laughs> yeah, it, there's so much to think about there. And you know, if you've got any comments, chuck in into the into the chat. 
it reminds me of before I was a Christian. So I became a Christian just before my 19th birthday. I think like a lot of people, I thought heaven was uh, or Christianity was for people who were good or at least trying to be good. And often you could see that they messed up and you went, ah, you're two faced. You keep telling everyone else what to do and you can't even keep to those standards yourself. And I think I thought that uh, it, it says in the Bible about good works, which is not really a phrase we use. Is it like doing good stuff? get you into heaven and um i don't get to decide who goes to heaven which would be a relief to everybody listening but when people looked at the queen last week there was this definite feeling of what a great woman who did good things um and she was a lovely person and was very uh yeah was didn't put many didn't do many mistakes certainly not that we thought about and there was certainly this idea therefore that i saw on my social media and on the news therefore she should be in heaven because that's fair and I don't know if you saw lovely images of of the Queen, this image of her being in heaven with her husband and with other people that have passed away. And I'm and, and I, you know, you're not going to start asking questions on on the day of somebody's funeral. But I'm like, as far as I understand it, the Queen is in heaven because she's a Christian, not because of the good things that she did. Um, and it it certainly when I became a Christian, I suddenly went, oh, hang on, there's this whole thing about grace, and one of the stories that really impacted me was when Jesus is crucified. So this is like the, it's what you know happens on Good Friday. There's two other people crucified with him. So the crucifixion is the execution of criminals in the Roman times. They, ha- they did it to loads of people. You know, it wasn't just Jesus. Um, and one of the criminals, basically, he's on the cross. He's dying. It takes hours. It's very painful. And he's laughing almost at Jesus going, oh, you idiot, you muppet. If what you say is true, why don't you get off the cross? And the other thief, the other criminal says, hang on, I, I, I think, I, I actually think you are Jesus. I think you are the son of God. And theologically, this is fascinating because Jesus says something like, uh, later today, so when you die, we will mm-hmm. be together in, in heaven. And I always thought, that thief didn't do anything good at all. Um, all, all, all he did was acknowledge Jesus. Uh, and you, you and, and there are other bits in the Bible that would suggest, yeah, it's important the way we behave, the truth. But mm. I just thought, wow, he got into heaven. Um, I've always found that really reassuring when I've got yeah. all the theology wrong. Anyway, that makes was my you, little it makes first. You feel like, it makes you feel like there's going to be some surprises when we get to heaven, right? Oh, like, God, yeah. To be there, being there. Yeah, and, definitely. And it the, kind the, of shows that it's not about, well, like you say, it's not about what you do, but it's about recognizing your need for god and and that was the key wasn't it like in those final moments before he died that criminal who was hanging next to jesus said you know he recognized his need he recognized his need to be saved um and and that that like kind of knowing your knowing your your need for god is actually the thing that saves you um and allows grace to kind of come into your life not not doing the right things so yeah, that is a challenging story. But I, I loved what Matt said in that talk, that kind of key standout for me was like, grace saves and truth sets you free. I love that. I hadn't really kind of seen that distinction so clearly before. And I think, I think, yeah, that's right. And like, I mean, I think about it, like what grace saves. So that's kind of like the kind of, kind of what we think of God's loving acceptance of us. You know, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to earn God's love. He just loves us perfectly as we are. 
Um, and then the truth part is the more challenging part, isn't it? It's the like, oh, but he calls us to his standard as well. And I was sort of thinking about it as Matt was talking. And for me, my takeaway was kind of like thinking about my own parenting, about how, you know, that kind of loving side of being a parent, like there's nothing like, and I'm sure you'd say this as a parent as mm. well, Phil, um, you know, that kind of, it made me think of my parenting relationship with my sons. It's like, there's nothing I could do to like, or there's nothing that Ben could do, sorry, to like make me love him more or less, but it does affect my relationship with him when he's persistently naughty though, you know? I, I mean, I admit I have not a huge amount of patience all the time as a parent, certainly not as much patience as God has with us, but like, but like even in that human relationship, it's like we know that we have infinite grace for our children, that like it doesn't matter how many times we they screw up, we still love them. But yeah. it does put more stress on our relationship when yeah. with them when they're persistently disobeying us or being difficult, yeah. doesn't it? Like it blesses me more uh. as a parent when Ben just does what I ask him to first time. But I don't love him less or have, le you know, yeah, and I have as much grace for him as he needs, but I also prefer it and feel more blessed by our relationship. And our relationship is better when he just listens to me. And yeah. Kind of follows, like, yeah, doing the right thing. And yeah, it's difficult, but I kind of feel like it's an imperfect example, but it's like the closest I can get to yeah. understanding it. Unfortunately, and I'm saying that facetiously, your son has free will as yes. do my kids and, and it's that peculiar thing of going why won't you do what i want it's like because i've got mm -hmm. free will in the same way dad if our kids ever spoke to us like this you've got free will as well and so you yeah. get to do whatever you want and it's a tremendous gift isn't it but it comes with a massive amount of responsibility mm -hmm. and I, I know it might reflect my personality but when i became a christian i enjoyed the grace without actually getting my head around the truth and sometimes I would go to uh, a preach or I'd do a Bible study and I really didn't like what I was hearing because I thought, no, I, I want to be able to be me. Just like Matt was saying, I didn't have the articulacy mm -hmm. to explain it like he did. And actually I had to come to the, I think we sometimes call it conviction in Christianity because it can sound, mm -hmm. condemnation is when you're, you're damned, like you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong forever and you're going to hell. Conviction mm -hmm. is kind of when you go, oh yeah, I, I did this wrong thing. Yeah. Um, and actually, I don't want to do it again. And I think if you, I do this in RE, if you if you look at like, for example, the Ten Commandments that most people will know about, the first four, they're not just, here's some rules, if you get one of them wrong, you're, you're in trouble forever. Um, yeah. But the first four are kind of to do with our relationship with God, how we get on with him. And I think it's the, uh, the, the remaining six are, if you follow these rules, you'll get on with other human beings better. So... Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't like being told what to do, actually, you probably do because you probably like to be treated how you want to be treated. So if yeah. we go around stealing, murdering, committing adultery, wanting stuff that isn't ours, it, it, like you say, it breaks it breaks relationship with yeah. each other and life becomes a lot more difficult to to live by. And certainly um, I, I really like the phrase that Matt used that he mentioned the. Um, sometimes people talk about the believe, behave, belong, and it depends which order yeah. you, 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 and I, you know, if you've ever been hurt by a church, it, there could be lots of reasons, but I wonder if it's because you thought 
I'll, I'll only belong if I behave. I have to behave first. Just like what you're saying about your, your Ben and my three kids. It's like, you, you belong. Mm. <laughs> you're, you're a Watson and you can't get away from it. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you, I don't know how I'm going to go and segue this into belief, but if you behave, you don't belong anymore or any less. Yeah, you still, still part of the family. You, you still belong. So one of my kids is one of my kids is adopted. So he wasn't born a Watson, but he is a Watson. But it's not a performance related what do you performance related pay. Like, you know, yeah. right, you can carry on being a Watson, but only if you fulfill these criteria. And that's how work operates, isn't it? I know, you know, in, yeah. in my work it's like, here are your targets. If you meet the targets, great. It's just not like that in God's family, is it? It's you belong. I love you. God loves us. Um, his grace is enormous. It's endless. Um, and we can just have it as a free gift. But if we then find, because we have that relationship with God, like with our, with, you know, if our family works well, we go, ah, but I love you enough to, to do what you want and to live like you want me to live. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it, that's the thing, isn't it? It's all underpinned by love. And so, you know, God gives us a gift of grace to save us, um, to make us part of his family. And that's free and we don't do anything to earn it. And it's just, it's just there for us to accept. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he also gives yeah. us a gift of truth. And I think that's out of love as well. Like it's all underpinned with love, I think, because the truth part is like he loves us enough not to leave us where we are damaging ourselves and others with our own fallenness or imperfect imperfections you know it's like we all none of us are perfect and we all hurt other people and sometimes fall short of god's you know perfect yeah, way but, but yeah but like he gives us truth doesn't he to kind of lead us into greater levels of kind of better relationships with others better relationships with the world yep. around us you know kind of I feel like God's truth helps us to um, have a better relationship with God and also with yeah. other people around us and with the, even the earth we look after and steward over. It's, um, yeah, so, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, but both of those things are underpinned by his love, aren't they? They're just yeah. different parts of his love almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, 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 in you know, there's that, the famous story, it's called The Sheep and the Goats, isn't it, where um whoever basically if you do anything good so you look after the the homeless you help the sick you help the um you clothe the naked you know you visit people in prison anything that's a good thing anything that involves loving your neighbor like the good samaritan is a very yeah. famous story where you know one man is beaten and mugged and another man that you're surprised helps him and i think those are things that god wants us to live by those are great uh christian uh yeah they're both great christian yeah. behaviors but you but if if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, um, don't be put off by Christians, all right? Because although some of us are trying to do and live well, uh, as in live by biblical standards, we will get it wrong. And sometimes people identify as Christians and I'm going, I can't see that I have anything in common with you whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I certainly, like Matt said about his theology, I would so how you understand the Bible, there are certain things that I just think every Christian would agree with. And I'm sounding like an RE teacher, but I am one. But you'll mm. find Christians with different views on the it's role of men and women or sexual orientation, race. And part of me despairs at some of them. Yeah. But, um, just like Matt said, I'm going, I have to consider that I could be wrong too. And that I'm really, the, the eternal things 
are the important ones. Mm. And the eternal things, to sum it up very briefly, is there's a God. He loves us. Um, we've sinned, Jesus. So he sent his son to die for us in, our, in his place. Sorry, I'm getting that all mixed up. We, we know, we, we've, we've sinned. We all do things that are wrong. We need God's grace to mm. be accepted. But it's a, it's a free gift. And sometimes um, we, any church, like a building that you might go into, whether it's in America or South America, Africa, Britain, there'll be different expectations of behavior. Um, mm. But fundamentally, you, you, you belong before you need to behave, before your dress, your language, or any of those other things, or even your, you know, yeah. your behavior, just, just is, is secondary to you. Yeah, that's right. And that it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think so much of how we think about our faith actually is cultural. It's like yeah. to do with the country we're brought up in, it's to do with yeah. like the politics that we're brought up in. It's, you know, and, and actually, yeah, I mean, there's probably, there probably are areas where we're right and other people are wrong, but equally, there's probably blind spots in the way we do church and understand the Bible where other cultures have got it right and we're pretty much off. Like, I, you know, I think in the West, we probably have a lot to learn about what we do with our money and our time that other mm. cultures have got much better. And there's probably yeah. some things that we get a bit more right. But yeah, I just, I feel like it's such a challenge, isn't it? Because it's, yeah, you're, ultimately it's about, it's it's so easy to look at other people and point point out their sin, isn't yeah. it? And I think someone made that point in the comments actually, but it's, you know, the challenge for us is actually, we only have to worry about ourselves and about, yeah you know, or in convictions before God. So, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's much, much more fun to tell other people where they're going wrong. than well, it's to, easier, to, right? Because you don't have to change anything if you tell yeah, someone yeah. else. And if, 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 you know, wherever you are, if you're a Christian and you're, and you're watching us or listening to us, it's really, really good though to, to decide. It, it's sort of almost countercultural to say to somebody who's a, another Christian, maybe a bit older, a bit wiser. So I would talk about that being your past and say, right, I give you permission to tell me when I'm out of order, when I'm bang out of line. And if you tell Phil Watson that he's doing something wrong, his immediate reaction is, oh, yeah, but. And I will tell you something about you. And, and I will say, yeah, but, you know. And I tend to do a lot of these things in my head now, whereas once I'd have been in your face and actually be telling you. And actually all they are is a distraction or a displacement activity because I didn't want to change and now and this isn't carte blanche for everybody to kind of pip in and say you're right phil is a list of the things you're doing wrong but there are yeah, certain people list. yeah there'd be a long list suddenly my mother and wife are on there and all my kids going this is what you've done wrong <laughs> and that's just today um but it, it's there are there are people that i trust very much um and say yeah i i believe you have got the best uh, for me and I'm going to listen to you, what you tell me. And it's really interesting because I, I don't know many people who have gone to a church who haven't found that there's a struggle with somebody else in there and they might have gone, I'm hurt, and they, they go off in a huff. And I can completely understand that. They feel offended and they leave. The bad news is you're never going to find a perfect church. Uh, yeah. and, and the worst news is if you do find a perfect church and you join it, you've just ruined it by being there, I'm afraid. Because you, you know, there's going to be something that you'll do that is probably not, it's going to be a blemish. So you, you kind of have to go, right, this, this, you have to choose. You have to choose and go, this is a church I'm going to go with. And it reminds me of my Rosh Hashanah thing about your, you know, Happy New Year being, bring 
sweet honey, uh, uh, sweet honey to somebody else's life. So what are mm. you doing in a situation, taking the responsibility for making the church that you're in the place where it's a, it's a positive environment? There's no slagging off. There's no gossip. Mm. You know, and it, it, it's like if, if you think the church is full of gossip, it's simple. Don't don't gossip. Wait. And it uh, and it is that's it, isn't it? And it and it's like um it's like what Matt was saying about relationships and, and yeah. sex. He was saying that um, you know, basically it's like it's like when you actually strip it back, it's like it's what I'm doing, improving my relationship with God and with others. Yeah. And it reminds it's really just aligning with the Ten Commandments, isn't it? I know they're like very old testament, but they still stand in my you know, very much so. It's like the first command is like love love God. God. And the second command is love other people like you know yeah. love your neighbor as yourself and yeah. i think if you're actually taking just those two commands seriously all the other ones just sort of fall into place because i think yeah. most of like like matt's example about sleeping with whoever you want well that's not respecting other people and it's hurting other people's feelings so if you don't want someone to mess around with your feelings then don't mess around with someone else's so it's yeah. it's, that, it's like when we actually live to that standard actually it shouldn't be too hard to be in line with kind of Bible principles and truth because I don't know, I feel like that kind of loving people, others as myself is like almost the highest standard that I could hold. And, you know, on hand on heart, I, I get it wrong all the time and I, I fall short of that, but it's something to aim towards. And I think even trying to live like that, you know, lifts the standard. It's like, would I like this? Would I like to be treated like this or talked about in this way? And if the answer is no, well, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's great because I can see the names of people that are commenting here. There's yeah. my old pal Sue, who I've known for years and years. There's Matty and there's... And I'm thinking, I've known these people and I'm pretty sure that I'd be surprised if I haven't offended all of them at least once. Um, but then that's sometimes yeah. the history of knowing somebody. And if, if, you, if you put your faith in a human, whoever it might be, it might be a wonderful Christian leader, ultimately they're still only a human being and i would always you know uh, there's been so many stories of leaders in in the church you know whether whichever branch you look at and in you know in in the government as well uh who who mess up and it's just to some extent i find those stories bitterly disappointing because you can you can think i've heard this man or this woman very often a man say wonderful things and then you find out something about his own life and mm -hmm. you go why why would you do that and, yeah. and normally it's dare i say it, it's a sense of arrogance that i'm beyond the rules and the truth uh and you're thinking are you taking grace for 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 granted so much so that you're just living a life where your own free will supersedes everything but part of me always goes i'm actually not i'm disappointed but sometimes i'm not surprised because mm. human beings it's about trusting the, the perfect one, Jesus, is about trusting God. Um, if I put my faith in a human being, ultimately I will be disappointed. Um, and, you know, the Queen is a strange example because I didn't know her. None of us knew her. But she's lauded as being amazing, and I'm sure she was. But I wonder if somebody closer went, but you know what, she's got a temper or she's got a bit. I don't know. I don't know what it would yeah. be. Well, which, even, even as a good example of someone who's lived a good life and was really honoured, you know, she's not perfect, is she? Like, no. you certainly know that there's been fallouts in her family and, you know, yeah. her children have been far from perfect, allegedly. And, you know, and, it, yeah, and there was various family disputes over the years. And, you know, that's 
Yeah. She's she's the yeah. matriarch of that family. So that in some way is linked to her, isn't it? Like and well, it, it, I'm not I'm not having a go at the queen, I, it, but I it just nobody's perfect, are they? And yeah. and that's the point. That's why we need grace. Yeah. But then yeah. also it's like that 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 verse that Matt mentioned in Raymond six, verse one, where it's like, shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? And it's like, no. You know, grace isn't an excuse for deliberately sinning, but it's also yeah. accepting that none of us are perfect. So it's sort of a both and. It's like be the best you can be, and try and walk in the truth as yeah. much as you can. But also, yeah. let's be realistic that nobody's perfect, and we're all going to get it wrong sometimes as Christians. And there's grace yeah. for that. We need it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's 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 a wonderful thing. One of the things about Christianity as well is is you can you can repent, you can say sorry. And um, I mean, to say I've got three kids and I can hear them in the background shouting because it's nearly tea. Um, and one of the and I know they could they could give you a list of things I've done wrong because mm. uh, uh, they know me best. Well, yeah. with my wife, if they got together, they could uh, destroy me. And everyone thinks I'm amazing. Anna. I know it's shocking isn't it. everyone goes, oh, lovely Phil. He's great. Um, he will tell you otherwise. And if you've known me for any length of time, you'll know the same. Um, and one of the things I, I write my kids letters uh handwritten and i've done this for 20 years so my daughter's nearly 21 so they've got each of them has got 20 30 40 50 letters in a box in the loft and when they turn 18 i go it's a lovely idea if you're a parent i always like recommend it and each letter says something like and it's not like a get out clause it says something like um i love you i'm doing the best i can with the information i have (laughs) your choice is either to resent me or forgive me and and there is a sense (laughs) <laughs> that that's true of all human relationships yeah. you can resent me or you can forgive me and i would give you a tiny bit of uh, advice on anyone here who's got resentment in them it's like you, you you've got absolute right to resent other people but it's like what is um what's that great phrase resentment or bitterness it's like taking poison and expecting the other person to die um it doesn't help you it doesn't help you to resent and get angry with other people long term uh for Forgiveness is an incredibly good thing for for you, for your relationship with God, for your relationship with other people, and for your for your mental health as well. Um, yeah. I might have gone off truth there, but anyway. No, I think it, it's a good point, isn't it? And it, it's all about how we treat ourselves and one another, ultimately, isn't it? Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah I, yeah. I just think it's yeah. I mean, it is a big issue, and and grace and forgiveness are interlinked, really, aren't they? So, but yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's a challenging topic because it's just so big, it, I think. It's the kind of yeah. crux of everything that our faith is as Christians. You, you, you and me both, you know, we got jobs. If if I said the word grace, I'm not sure many people in my work scenarios would necessarily get it straight away because it's taken mm. me a long time to understand it because it, you know, it's sort of grace and is it, sometimes it's sort of linked with mercy, but mercy sounds mm. like it's a power game, grace. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Is is it a word? I mean, I know people call grace. Would people you use say, grace? People say like, "Oh, have grace for yourself," don't they? Or have a bit of grace for yourself. Mm. Kind of hard day, you know. And, and and I think that kind of gets a little bit of the context. Like, yeah, it kind of it's kind of like interchangeable. We're like, be kind to yourself. Yeah, but it's so much more than that, Grace, isn't it? It's it's such a bigger concept. It's like it's like getting what you don't deserve. And yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. We. It, we, so much yeah. bigger. 
We use it to go. Can we also define grace here because it's yeah. a, it's like really big complex. It's a slippery fish. Yeah, yeah gray, gray side. Give yourself a break, you know. And you go, yeah. no, it's more, it's more than that. Same but it is giving us. It is like going, oh no, I didn't do a very good job here. I said something I shouldn't have said here. And if you talk as much as me, you're bound to offend somebody eventually. <laughs> um, normally, very, very quickly. And uh, and yeah, and I sometimes do because I've I've taught something like two or three thousand young people, many of whom are now in their forties. I'm going for every one who thought, wasn't I great? Wasn't Mr. Watson great? There must be some who was going, oh yeah, but when he said this. And when he did that, it really annoyed me or offended me. And uh, I, you know, I, maybe I can use Crowd Church to blanketly apologise to everybody I've offended over the last fifty-two years. Um, that doesn't sound very heartfelt, does it? But there is, there is, a, there is a sense that forgiveness is just a—it's just an incredible uh, uh, honour to be able to forgive other people and also to, like you said, to to forgive yourself because you could live in a—you know—we used the word condemnation and conviction earlier. I wonder whether the adulterous woman, I always want to know what did she do next? Because Jesus says, right, go, stop sinning. But did she go away and feel bad about herself? Did she hate that town where she'd grown up because she felt that they treated her badly? They condemned her. But at the same time, actually, by the standards that they were living by, she was guilty of sin. Um, yeah, yeah. All these questions that I've got for God that, when I get to heaven. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Like when you encounter grace, it should call you up to a higher standard. Like it's like interesting that um, in the example that Matt was talking about, like it's it was like um, like Jesus says, you know, um, like like he's he's he calls out the sin in yeah. the woman. Yeah. And he doesn't say, oh, you know, don't worry about it. He's, he calls it sin. Um, yeah. and he, so he's quite direct but that that kind of confronting like people with truth and love calls you mm -hmm. out you know into like you experience more grace and it's like yeah and grace is actually like it doesn't leave you where you are but it calls you to a higher standard as well yeah. So, yeah, yeah interesting isn't it and we could talk about it for another hour but we're running out of time rapidly <laughs> can so, i say one last thing then one last thing I, I, yeah, I wonder when Jesus, when the woman was uh, about to be stoned, which would have been the public execution in those days, I just wonder whether Jesus said to the men, whoever has never sinned, you can throw a stone. And they all went off because they all knew that they'd sinned. I wonder if then he privately spoke to the woman so as not to actually make it a public show. And I wonder if that's a really good um, principle as well, that if you uh, that some things are best done to give people some respect and some uh dignity so you might actually yeah. say i want to live in truth but actually do you, are you going to hurt the person by doing it now in this public forum i've certainly yeah, been guilty people. of that in the past yeah yeah, yeah. grace yeah. and truth yeah absolutely so i mean we could just keep talking and talking about this <laughs> i think but we are running out of time so we'll wrap it up there thank you so much to everyone who contributed today and left their comments there's loads of good good food for thought there and I'm sure it's something to continue to go away and think about this week that whole grace saves and and truth sets you free kind of idea so do do um do yeah think about that through the week I, I think it's one I'll certainly be chewing over and then do you know what's happening next week Phil uh, I've just seen in the comments that Dave Connolly the mighty Dave is going to be preaching brilliant okay. tune in 
yeah, Dave is awesome. So I'm sure that'll be a good talk. He's going to be picking up uh, the third talk in this series, the origin series on the Gospel of John. So that's going to be well worth tuning in for next week. So everyone have a great week and we will see you soon. Have a great week, everybody. Happy Jewish New Year. Yes. Bye. <laughs> Bye.